I forget who's tweeted this, but it's like, once I start figuring it out, it's over for all of you, if that's okay with you. Bad in Bed, the queer sex education podcast. I'm Gabrielle Cassell. And I'm Bobby Box. And we are so excited to start season two. This season is actually sponsored. Round of applause, everybody. Uh, We are sponsored by Fun Factory, a sex toy company that Gabby and I have long loved. Honestly, uh, I... I think they're both regular. Their toys are often included in our roundups every time we write them. So it's like, this is like, a dream come true for both of us. When we were approached by Fun Factory, we were absolutely thrilled because this is just an authentic opportunity for us to work together because we truly love their products. And it turns out they love us too. (laughs) So flattering. I mean, whenever anyone asks me what a go-to dildo or double-ended dildo is, it's Fun Factory products that I point to. So how fucking flattering. Exactly. So we're going to start... Season two off with a bang by talking about our experiences at sex parties. You know, we were Disney friendly in the beginning. So now you got to get to know us on the inside and out, so to speak. Yeah. When we're not recording, Bobby refers to us as Disney sex educators. He's like, we're not, we're not like scandalous enough. So (laughs) here we go. Here's your dose of scandal. Okay. So have you been to a sex party? I have. I've been to two. Have you okay. been to a sex party? I have not been to a sex party, but I have been to a sex resort. And in the sex resort, I have been to the sex room. Okay. Yeah, I think, was that the, um, in Jamaica? Yeah, Hacienda. No, yep. wait, shit. No, that's not the one. Um, Hedon- uh, hedonism. Yes. Yeah. Hedonism. I I was invited to that resort on the next press trip, but then COVID happened, so I couldn't go. Um, It's nuts. And I, you know, I, I'm not going to shit talk them, but I do want to just be clear that me talking about my experience that I had there is not me endorsing them. I don't think that queer folks, and I'm assuming most of the people who are listening to this podcast are queer, mm-hmm. um, are the target audience. Okay, good to know. So just gonna gonna put that out there. So anyway, hedonism is a sex resort. Um, it's also known as a swingers resort. The idea is is that like couples and then single women go there in order to mingle with other swingers, um, and basically like have hedonistic experiences. Right. So the resort is split into two different sides. There's uh, the nude side where you cannot wear clothes. And then there's the prude side where you have the option of wearing clothes. So just to, yeah. So just to <laughs> lay out like the architecture of the building, that is what we're working with. Okay. On the nude side, there is like a sex room dungeon situation. And mm-hmm. to enter this space, you cannot be wearing any clothes, right? It's on the nude side. So, oh, so that's like mandatory? Like, oh, yeah. You cannot wear anything. Okay. All right. Okay. So the middle of the sex of the sex room, this room that you walk into, looks and sm- smells like a spa. There's like a hot tub situation in the middle. It's tiled with tan tiles. There's a sunroof that... When it's sunny, you see sun, and when it's starry, you see stars. Oh, that's nice. And then, like, all around this hot tub are just, like, beds. Luxury. 
luxury beds and then like a and then there's like people having sex on these beds and then there's sort of two out rooms that are attached to this main pool area and okay. both of them are like kinky like there's black paint red paint um there's leather benches there's sex swings there's okay. chains like mm-hmm. so the vibe in the middle room is like sexy sexy spa spa and then the vibe of the two side rooms is like yep I was on a press trip mm-hmm. and me and the other people on the press trip were all sex writers decided to explore the sex room and me and one of the other people on the press room went into one of the little side kinky rooms and there was an orgy happening now I'm talking like a 10 to 12 person orgy and what I will say is that the sounds of being surrounded by an orgy are really fucking hot. Like, it's really okay. hot to be, like, surrounded by those sounds. Um, mm. I don't know if you've ever, like, put porn on in the background while having sex with your partner or a oh, partner. Yeah. Yep. It kind Thank of you. has a similar experience, but you're, like, literally surrounded by these noises. <sighs> and so like that was really ASMR. arousing. Yeah. yeah. And then, like you feel like you're doing something taboo and like right. taboos can be arousing. So there's a few different reasons why this is yeah. arousing. But in this particular resort, you're not really allowed to just like sit and watch. You're not allowed to be a voyeur. You have to okay. like actively participate. And there are, there are like monitors at this room who are making sure that people aren't being creepy. Okay. So in order to continue enjoying being surrounded by orgy noises, me and one of the other people on the trip made out while okay. being surrounded by that. So we didn't have sex, but we had a really hot makeout session while surrounded by orgy sounds. I my sex parties, it was um we have a well known uh personality in Toronto who throws sex parties or used to anyway before COVID. It was actually <laughs> Uh, my first ever gay event to go to was a sex party. I didn't know it was a sex party because nobody told me. None of my friends told me. They were like, you're going to come to this thing. You can dance and stuff. But like, what did you uh, wear? Um, (laughs) I don't, I don't remember, but like (laughs) something not appropriate for like what everyone else was wearing. Okay. got it. So show up everyone. It's like, it's very dark, but like everybody there is like this big muscular, hairy type and I'm like, oh, I'm in heaven. Like, so I was like, this is what being gay is like. But also I was like, not literally, but I was shitting my pants. <laughs> and uh, Not literally, he says. It was, Thanks, Bob. It, was, it was very intimidating. And truth be told, I spent most of the night by the snack bar <laughs> just like eating like Cheetos while everyone else was kind of dancing or like going upstairs and like fucking in the slings or going into like the dark room corridors and hooking up there. So it was, um, that was my first experience. Wait, so how many people are, like, is this an intimate 12 person party or is this like a 200 person situation? Like 200. Oh, wow. And like, there's a DJ and there's go-go boys and like everybody's in like a leather harness and like jockstrap and just dancing and sweating and, and while you were stuffing your face with Cheetos, were you watching mm-hmm. other people have sex? Were you listening to it? Or did you just feel like so um, self-conscious about whether or not you belonged there that you were, that you couldn't get aroused? I was watching some things, but like uh, upstairs is where like the sex kind of happened, where okay. downstairs was just dancing or like maybe oral sex would happen on the main floor. Okay. And um, so, yeah, it was, it was definitely a sight to behold. So I 
waited another what several months before I went back to the next one. And um, I was a lot more confident then. So I was in a jock strap and a harness that time. And I was like, okay, you're going to do this. And like, you know what? I I was still insecure, but like, I feel like everyone is, you know, you're going to put on a jock strap and stuff. You're going to be looked at and stuff. So like any person who's not super drunk or stoned is going to be like, okay, this is a little uncomfortable. You know, I'm not used to this. So like, I just got to get used to it. So Second time around, I did fool around with someone in like one of the um, there's like little closet spaces, like size spaces that you can hook up with somebody. So I hooked up with like a friend of mine Mm. and just oral and stuff like that. But then I went to like I was like, okay, you know what? I want to see what like what other people are doing. And there was like a guy just set up in a swing, like a sex swing and just a lineup of guys just like pounding them out, leaving next person, go leave. So he was like a cum dump. Wow. Talk about endurance. Yeah. 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 No, seriously. I was like, okay, well, this guy, I don't need to teach him anything. He knows what he's doing. You know? So it was, it was a very like eye opening to know that these like, you know, it was very much, you know, I'm very much a proponent for bathhouses. Mm. I think I like going to a bathhouse. I usually go alone to be honest. And, um, I have a good time there. Like I find that if you go to one that's got like a good social space, you can kind of get to know somebody before, but like, it's just kind of, you go to a space where everybody's there for the same thing. So there's no, like, not really that pressure, but it's like, you know, you can have a drink with someone and then it's like, okay, do you want to come up to my room? Or like, do you want to fool around in this? I I really love a bathhouse. I really do. I know they're kind of like, I wrote an article about if bathhouses are going to endure in like the grinder scruff era because sex is so easy to come by, but people do love the novelty of a bathhouse and just like, you go in, you don't know who's going to be there necessarily. So it's hot, you know, it's like a very hedonistic experience that I would recommend, you know, if you want to go, go for it, experience it, but you probably should not do what I did and go with a friend just to be safer. You know, it's interesting. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm at, the emotion I'm experiencing right now is almost jealousy. Like I'm jealous that you have access to these kinds of queer spaces. I wish that there were more queer spaces for, queer people to fuck that aren't like exclusively for gay men. Oh, totally. I, I agree. Like I, that's why I've, I feel like off the podcast, I've asked you a few times if there are spaces like that and you're like, no. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and Hey, if you're listening to this and you're like, GK, I've got a space for you. Yo, those DMS. <laughs> yeah. Also new business venture. <laughs> <laughs> bisexual what is the best dildo and i'll tell you what my favorite dildo is it's the fun factory limba flex and no i'm not just saying that because they're sponsoring this episode though i do love that they are sponsoring this episode the reason i love the fun factory limba flex is multifaceted i'll give you three of the reasons first it comes in two different sizes a small and a medium And neither of these sizes are so huge that you're going to have a situation where your eyes are bigger than your holes. Both of these dildos are about four to five and a half inches of insertable length and one to two fingers in thickness, which means that beginners of strap-on sex and pegging can enjoy them. 
Reason number two that I love these dildos so much is that they are bendy. They are bendy. This means that you can literally shape the dildo to best fit the shape of the canal, anal, vaginal, you know. And the third reason I love them so much is that they are turquoise and not fucking Teletubby purple like all of the dildos on the market these days. If you want to check out my favorite dildo, head to funfactory.com and use the checkout code BADINBED10 for 10% off at checkout. Oof, baby. After all of that vulnerability talk, let's press pause on the sex party speak and bring on our expert for the day, James Rose, and let them educate us on gender, sexuality, body image, and more. Oh my gosh, we're so excited to have James on. I guess to start things off, we'd like to ask, what does non-binary mean? Yeah, non-binary is simply just not within the gender binary. The gender binary is a very recent uh, framework to view gender, and existing outside of the binary has existed as long as humans have existed. Um, Because gender is a social construct, we completely made it up. And so to be non-binary means that your lived experiences exist outside the binary of being considered a man or a woman. And most people in modern society, when you are born, you're assigned either man or woman, you're assigned male or female, which are like sex Mm. vocabulary words. Um, So based off like your genetic, secondary sex characteristics, things like that, usually people are assigned male, female or intersex, right? And then based off of that birth assignment of your sex, you then have a set of gendered expectations that go along with that. So like... mm, people assigned male at birth end up falling into the like you're socially conditioned as a man and expected to have specific qualities about you same thing goes for like people assigned female at birth that are women and then for intersex people it gets even more confusing and that is not a topic that i'm qualified to speak on then you grow up and you're like this whole gender thing is a little fucked i think i'm not what i have been attempted to be conditioned to be i think that i don't fall within this very limited framework And so maybe I fall without it. And so being non-binary is just literally what the word sounds like. You are not within the binary of gender. It is both a specific identity and also an umbrella term for many other gender identifiers that you can use to specify your specific experience with gender. Um, But it can also just be the label that you choose for your gender as well. Do you remember when you learned that there was a label for the experience that you've had with gender and sort of existing outside of the binary yeah like when I learned about it for the first yeah 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 Yeah. um I was in high school on tumblr and I read this post from a who like roll call who remembers tumblr um everybody who was hot on tumblr is now hot on instagram it's like my theory (laughs) And and also now now working with Abercrombie which we hate, but like, nonetheless, <laughs> um, I also think that if you're like TikTok famous, you don't know what Tumblr was. That's like kind of the generation. <laughs> right. so that's my thesis on media. Um, <laughs> thank you for coming. Uh, I read about this gender fluid person who talked about their experience of waking up and they were like, I just feel more masculine, more manly today. I feel more feminine, more womanly today, more in touch with womanhood. So I'm going to dress this way. I'm going to dress more this way another day. That's gender fluidity to me. And I was like, that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. You must be confused. You must be mentally ill. You must be all of these things. And I became what we call in contemporary terms, a transphobe. So for the next 
like mm-hmm. good solid decade, I would say almost. Um, I was transphobic and was like, all trans people are confused. They just don't know what they're doing. Like you can't be born in the wrong body. Like that's ridiculous. You can't see me, but I'm putting air quotes around that. And um, then one of my friends started describing their gender. If you follow Jordan Underwood at Jordan Allen Hall on Instagram, they started talking about their experience with gender. And I was like, okay, well, I know him. Like this, like this kind of, no, it can't be. It cannot be. This makes no sense. And then I went into the next meeting and was like, we will not put our pronouns on our name tags. That is a terrible idea. I will not put, you know, my pronouns on there. And now I realize I didn't want to put my pronouns because they were wrong. They were literally giving me dysphoria, but I had no idea at the time because I didn't have the language. And so then I'm listening to Jordan came out, a couple other friends um, started putting labels to their identity. I think coming out is such a funky, ugly framework. Like I don't, I call it my gender reveal, essentially. Like I was always a non-binary person, the way that our society works and the ways that like the time I was born into, this has always been my identity, but I didn't figure out the words for it until much later. And I remember figuring it out because my entire life, I have always loved things that were not traditional for my gender in terms of like, I wanted to wear heels and I wanted to have long hair because my mom had long hair and I thought she was so beautiful. She is. And like, now it's funny because like we have the same hair. Hilarious. (laughs) I like if my inner child, like if my younger self could see me now, they would just be in awe. Um, and I think about that when guys are like, you were hotter with short hair. I'm like, I hope that you lose your wallet actually. Um, like my inner child would hate you. Like for sure. Like four year old me would never think you're hot. And so 26 year old me doesn't get to either. Fuck. And, um, I remember going into a Macy's, the Macy's in Herald Square. You have to be in a pretty low place to like voluntarily go into the Macy's. (laughs) (laughs) And I walked in and there was this gold dress that was like kind of a mermaid, like heart top. And it was like super skin tight. And then it belled out into this like, I don't know, like silk chiffon, like mermaid. And uh, I put it on and I was like, I just whispered the words they, them to myself. And I literally had a moment where I saw my inner child and they were like smiling in the mirror at me. And I like just had like a whole emotional breakdown because it was the first time that I had allowed myself to look at myself the way that I am instead of the way that I have been told to be. And I was, I was stuck. I remember not being able to leave the dressing room because I thought I was going to shatter this illusion. Like I was looking at myself and I thought I was so beautiful. And I, I felt like myself for the first time. And when you have an experience like that, you have no idea. And um, I left the dressing room eventually. And the next day I posted on Instagram, I like socially transitioned my pronouns to he, they. I was like, I'm a non-binary person. I remember sitting at the like, 50th street um and nine there's like that courtyard there that's by new world stages and i was sitting there and thinking i have to do this publicly because at the time it would have just been my friends following me on instagram it would have just been people that actually knew me and in real life i had genuine connections with whereas now i have many real connections with people i don't know in real life right that are just as valid and I mm-hmm. thought, you know, I've got to figure this out in community because I can't just be whispering this to myself and figure out if it works. So I decided to just go public about it, mostly because I knew that I had a lot of queer people in that space and uh, I wanted to see how it felt. And um, it felt really good. And I've never gone back. That was going to be my next question, actually, was how it felt when you did 
I know we don't like the word, but come out because I remember coming out when I did thinking it was going to be this great thing, but I felt very raw afterward. And it took me, I would say weeks or months to really feel that unbridled joy that you do eventually feel because you're true to yourself. But it's just like, yeah, the whole coming out process is very difficult and not it's lots of expectations that aren't necessarily real. You know, but yours was, you did feel good. That's a great point because I think I often gloss over the fact that at first it didn't. Um, This is something we don't talk about as much. And I'm really glad that you're bringing it up because it's a truth that I think we don't always acknowledge. Like in order for it to get to the place where it became gender affirming, I had to practice receiving it. And it's one thing to like reckon with yourself about who you are. It's another thing to say, I love myself and respect myself enough to allow other people to treat me the way that I should be treated. I think that that is actually a really difficult thing to do, at least for me to kind of accept that incredibly affirming wholehearted love from people has been difficult. And so at first, like when people were using they as a pronoun for me, it didn't actually feel a hundred percent right. And I think it's because I was used to hearing something different for my whole life. And so all of a sudden when you switch, there is a part of your brain that's like, it just kind of, it, it misfires for a second. And you're like, wait, that doesn't quite make sense. And then the more I got into it, the more that I realized that the reason it didn't feel good was actually because of the habits that I had ingrained in my body and the kind of neurological pathways that my body had built as protections against what wasn't gender affirming, but was necessary for my survival in those spaces. And so then as I started to receive more people using they, them as a pronoun for me, I took off the other pronoun and I only used that. And I was like, these are the only, you know, words that affirm me. This is the only acceptable way to address me. And then it started to feel good, but it took a little bit of time, honestly. Like at first it was uncomfortable because I was so new to it. I was second guessing it, you know, I wasn't sure. And I think that was very different than like sexuality where I never came out. I don't think anybody in my family expected me to be anything but like a homosexual. Um, So I remember when I like, I didn't know because I had never met a man that I felt anything that I was connected that was like beyond friendship. But I'm missing mm-hmm. a boy and being like, this is undeniably what every Katy Perry song is about, you know, like absolutely <laughs> it. Um, whereas there, there's no Katy Perry song about gender. Thank God. But like, there's no- <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, that's not really represented in the same way. Like I can romanticize the moments in like a hotel room kissing a boy from the book of Mormon tour, like outside my high school but like I know chaos but like I can't I can't romanticize receiving you know the pronouns that I had not heard for 20 something years and then they were right but it took a lot of time to allow myself to accept them you know right and we talked earlier about um just prior to recording about your hair and having the hair you always wanted as a child like did you find that as a non non-binary person, it was um, a journey to also find like the look that you really because a lot of people assume incorrectly. I should add mm-hmm. that androgyny, all uh, non-binary people should be androgynous. So, yeah. like, how did that journey go for you? It's still going. It's an everyday practice. Um, I presentation-wise, like what you're talking about is presentation, like how non-binary people present. And the cool thing about non-binary people is because there are so many of us and there are infinite ways to experience gender because there are infinite ways to be a human being 
Uh, there are therefore infinite expressions and presentations of that gender. So you're absolutely right. Like the media representation of non-binary people tends to be androgynous. Um, that is true for some non-binary people. And it is right. absolutely not the full truth. Like we are not a monolithic community by any means. And there are people who want to present in certain ways. And like, there are people who pass because like they want to pass for a specific gender that may or may not be what they were assigned at birth. And they're also not binary. Right. And when I say pass, they're passing for a binary gender. Um, right. Other people don't want to do that. They don't have an interest in it. Um, so like as a non-binary, I mentioned this earlier, how non-binary can be an umbrella term for many other uh, non-binary gender identities. So like if you picture non-binary as your umbrella, the like spokes that come and dangle off of that are other specifiers like a gender, which is having a lack of gender or gender void, which is like having no gender whatsoever or being gender fluid, which is like feeling a fluidity between any sorts of genders. You can be bi-gender. You can feel like you are two genders. The list goes on. Those are like specifier words that you can use to right. further describe a non-binary identity if that feels affirming to you. Gender fluid feels incredibly affirming to me. It's another label that I often use because there are days a la the Tumblr post where I wake up and I'm like, I just feel way more like a woman today. Like I feel connected to femininity and womanhood and I want to dress more like what we see in society as traditionally feminine, even though it's very important to note that clothing is not gendered, but the way that we view people in specific clothing does yield certain connotations. And those can be affirming and euphoric for your experience of gender. And then there are other days where I wake up and I'm like, I want to dress like one of the dudes. And I'm still just as non-binary, just as gender fluid in each one of those situations. It's really just a matter of like, how do I want to decorate my body today? James, is there a really perceptible difference in who is hitting on you and giving you flirty eyes based on the gender costume that you've chosen for the day? And like, how do you like navigate that? So if you go back on my Instagram and you look at pictures of me from 2016, I looked like the ideal twink. I was, I am six feet tall. I'm skinny, like, because that's the genetic pool that I was given. And mm -hmm. I have this giant smile and like, I have like a very sharp jaw structure. And like, yes. do you know how the gays respond to that? They go, this one, I'm going to wreck it. I love it. I'm like, yeah. you know what I mean? <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> like, and so I think about how I was only considering myself to be a top at the time. And I'm like, honestly, so disappointing, but like so good for me, I think in many ways, because like, otherwise, I don't know that I would have survived. Um, I like, and it's funny, this used to be my identity. And I'm going to talk about this because I want to critique it. My identity was that I felt like I could walk into any room and I could pick whoever I wanted to sleep with and be successful. Mm. And because I had yet to come into a situation where that wasn't the case and I could get on grinder anywhere I wanted and I could have a hookup within X amount of minutes because I looked like the thing that society says is most beautiful. I am not. Mm. I do not think that is a helpful way for us to be looking at things like as a thin at the time I was conceptualizing myself as cis, but I wasn't. So like as a thin white person, I am not the epitome of beauty. I am attractive, but everyone is attractive like mm -hmm. there's so much more that makes you hot I'm literally like planning a series of like rewriting hotness to be like about how it's actually your politics and not what you look like anyway so that will be coming at another time <laughs> hey sexy people it's Bobby here if you follow me or read my work you've definitely heard me talk about the Manta from Fun Factory it's legitimately the best stroker on the planet and everybody I've recommended it to agree so it must be true 
No joke, since the day this award-winning stroker landed at my doorstep, I've used it every damn day, shifting through its six speeds and vibration patterns. I personally use it to edge, but the Manta can also be used for stroking and partner play, where it essentially turns the penis into a vibrator. Visit funfactory.com for more details and get the award-winning Manta for yourself. I promise you won't be disappointed. When, say, you're going, you're dating or you're on dating apps, or how early on do you feel like you have to mention that you're non-binary or do you at all? Like, are you like, this is just a non-issue? Like, how, how do you navigate kind of that situation? Oh, it's right up front. Um, so yeah. I am not dating. I think the last thing I want to do is fall in love, which does not come from like a bitter, resentful place. I think mm. I've been trying to figure this out with my therapist, actually, because like if I meet you and we have a good conversation, I will fall in love with you. Like for sure. I've already imagined our lives together. Like I, I've thought about what it feels like to wake up next to you and I might not even know your name yet. Like I can <laughs> the fuck out of anything. And like, mm-hmm. um, and I do. And it's like, and when I'm in a relationship, it's like, here's my entire heart. Like I want you to have this. Bobby and I relate yeah. to this for sure. Absolutely. You're talking to two cancers right now. We are so on the same page. <laughs> well, yeah. It has, have you found that since you've, come out as well come into yourself i love when you said that i i was like make a mental note of that come into yourself yeah because it's so true and it's yeah um as non-binary did you find that your the sex life changed at all in terms of like the type of sex you were having not necessarily partners or like were you being fetishized at all or i have not experienced that um no i i think if i were I have heard many more trans women speak about being fetishized. I'm not a trans woman. Right. I'm a trans femme. So there's a difference there. Um, mm-hmm. So like, if you, like, if you go to the trans section of Grindr, like, cause you know how you can search by categories yeah. in that way. Oh, I didn't know you could do that. Yeah. You- yeah. How many categories are there? Like, what are some of them? Jock, for like game cut, gamer, twink, pause, sober, bear. Oh, wow. Rugged. Yeah. Yeah, I've spent too much time on this app. Apparently, <laughs> um, you know better than me, and I work for them. You will. Stop. Oh my god! So you remember when we did that blowjobs article that was like, here, are like the tips for a great blowjob. The amount of people that followed yeah. me from that, I thought was hilarious because I didn't know that the article had come out, and so I'm like, all these like men started following me, which is not a usual experience that I have on the internet. Like men don't mm-hmm. learn about gender. That would cause them to question things <laughs> when all of a sudden like all these guys and i was like oh my god you literally just think i give good head welcome i guess well yeah you're like what yeah i'll take it i guess <laughs> yeah well it's true and like i do want to make it known that if i am writing an article james is one of my go-tos <laughs> they are truly the words i'm just like you are so right you you just you know your stuff you. absolutely know your you. stuff. i have done a lot of listening i talk a lot i actually do listen a lot <laughs> so which is why that's i think the key to like having successful sexual yes. encounters is actually so much listening i mean i love to throw in a good mid thrust like how's your day going um but i also think it's <laughs> i'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> i was like Okay. <laughs> I used to do that to my ex. He's gonna be so mad at me for telling this, but he knows. Um, <laughs> and we'd be like going at it, and he'd be like mid thrust. I'd be like, so, "Like, do you want to get like breakfast at such and such tomorrow?" And he'd be like, "What the fuck?" 
<laughs> so angry. And then like one time he got really soft and just really sad and I felt awful. And then that we broke up not long after, but that wasn't why. <laughs> <laughs> James, do you wanna plug all of your social channels? Where can people continue to learn and unlearn and swoon over in DM slides? Oh my gosh, you're so sweet. Um, so I'm on Instagram and TikTok. Those are the only places that I exist. So if you see something else, it's not me. Um and both of those are James is smiling. And um, you can connect with me there. I, we do all sorts of things. I love that I have not niched myself into one thing. So sometimes we talk about sex. Sometimes we talk about gender. Sometimes I talk about politics. Sometimes I tell stories with my stuffed animals on my bed. It really just depends on what I feel like doing. And um, I, I love connecting with people who are willing to learn more and who are excited about learning more and who are exploring their own identities or learning how to support someone who's exploring their own identities because we can never have too many of those people in the world. So that's what I do on my socials. And those are the two places that you can find me. Follow them, follow them, follow them. You will not regret it. Zero, zero, zero. Amazing. Thanks, James. We so appreciate your time. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. On next week's episode, Gabby and I will be chatting with legend, icon, and pleasure and sex educator Luna Matadas about a fun little subject known as threesomes. We talk about what needs to be discussed beforehand, how to tackle feelings of jealousy during the act, and post-threesome etiquette. After this episode, you're going to know exactly what you need for a threesome to go smoothly because, let's be real, they could be a freaking disaster. If you love the Bad in Bed podcast, follow Gabby and I on Instagram at Gabrielle Cassell and at ByBobbyBox. You can also follow our sponsor, Fun Factory, at Fun Factory USA and our incredible producer, Vivian McCall, at Pansy is Gay. Music for the Bad in Bed podcast is provided by Hot Machine, a project from Philly bands Rubber Band Gun and Star Moles. Inside the Hot Machine.